We're back in the book of of Philippians. We're focusing on these themes, as you see in your handout. Uh, If you turn it over, you can see the themes we've already been talking about through the book. Just a brief review this morning. Through this book, we've talked about a gospel-centered life. If you want to say it a different way, you could say it this way. A gospel-transformed life. The fact that because Jesus Christ came to redeem, he saved a sinner like me, then every decision in my life should center around his glorious gospel, the transformation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we've looked at that theme, carried us right into another theme, and that is unity through humility in the body of Christ, carried us right into another theme, and that is rejoice in the Lord. Joy. Today, we launch further into chapter 4. Last week, we talked briefly of chapter 4, just the first verse, and now we're going to study this morning verses 1 through 5. But before we get into that, I've got a question. Here's a fun question to start off the morning. Have you ever, in the body of Christ, been so frustrated with someone else that you could hardly contain yourself? You already know it's going to be a fun discussion this morning, right? The fact is, even if we passionately resolve, if we're passionately resolved to live a gospel-centered, gospel-transformed life, at times, there's that one person that when you get in the car after church, you know what it's like. And all you can do is sit there and just say, And Jesus knows everything that you just expressed. The person in the body of Christ who just gets under your skin. Maybe right now. I'm hoping to fly through this section. Maybe right now a name is coming to your mind. A face is coming to your mind. So kind of move quickly through that section. But you've worked hard together in ministry in the past. And something went awry. Something happened. And now, every time you see each other, it is just tension abounds. Maybe you've been there Uh, this week. I shook my head several times thinking about this. I want to read a a brief story. Last September, there was an article, and here's the the headline. (laughs) Just take a look at this. Um, Newsweek, which, which may be not the most reputable, but here it is. I want to bring this article this morning to start the service. Argument between West Virginia pastors' wives ends with gunfire in the church parking lot. So to just listen to this article and try not to laugh too hard or try not to cry too hard. One of the two. A pastor's wife in West Virginia has been charged with uh, reckless endangerment after allegedly firing a gun in the church parking lot. I trust no one here on the West Coast uh, knows the names in this article. If so, I just apologize beforehand. Um, Maybe this is your sister, or (laughs) uh, maybe it's your maybe it's your sister-in-law, or maybe for those Easterners that uh, might enjoy a bit of West Virginia joke, maybe it's both your sister and (laughs) sister-in-law. But we'll not go there. I couldn't refuse that one, sorry. (laughs) At any rate, uh, this woman, Melinda Tony, 
44, is accused of pulling out a pistol that accidentally, accidentally, dis, that's what they say, discharged during an argument with another pastor's wife at, here's the name of the church, get this, New Life Church. <laughs> In Oak Hill on May 11, 2019, Tony is the wife of New Life Pastor Earl Tony, while the other woman, Lori Haywood, is married to New Life's youth pastor, David Haywood. So Fayette Sheriff's Detective Kevin Williams told the Register Herald the animosity between the two women had been simmering for some time. You think? <laughs> Their husbands had thought that the woman should publicly bury the hatchet to avoid additional strife. Sheriff Willis reports the pastor and the youth pastor had thought, quote, maybe we could get them together. We can hash this out and fix this before it escalates. Sheriff Willis states, of course, uh, it just made it worse, I think. <laughs> Haywood would only say this. The, the youth pastor's wife. Um, actually, according to Willis, the straw that broke the camel's back was an argument over a, a T-shirt Haywood was wearing, the youth pastor's wife was wearing. Haywood would only say we had a disagreement, and when we sat down to talk, I called her out, and she lost it. According to authorities, Melinda Tony walked out of the church during the disagreement, went to her car in the parking lot where she got her handgun. Sheriff Willis reports that Pastor Tony intercepted his, get this, I just shook my head thinking of this. Sheriff Willis reports that Pastor Tony intercepted his wife before she was able to come inside the church and attempted to wrestle the gun out of her hand. I mean, I can, with all my imagination juices in my head, I can only imagine this happening. Out in the front of the church, in the parking lot, you have a pastor wrestling his wife who has a gun in her hand. The weapon fired a single shot during the struggle, but nobody was hurt. Lori Haywood, who was leaving the church when the gun discharged, called the police and told them right away she was Tony's intended target. The department reviewed the parking lot surveillance video, but could not determine exactly whether the pistol was aimed right at Haywood before it was fired. Mrs. Tony owned the handgun legally with her concealed carry permit. We were just trying to leave peacefully, the youth pastor's wife said. The reason for all this shooting is so stupid, very unnecessary. According to Detective Willis, Melinda Tony declined to speak to the police after her arrest and requested an attorney instead. According to Willis, the, the, the detective, uh, he added that a mental evaluation of Mrs. Tony may be part of the investigation. I, I would say, hey, we need to do more than a mental evaluation here. There's got to be some spiritual talk here about this scenario. I read this and I honestly thought, are you kidding me? Then the irony in this one article abounds. Even the guy who wrote it, how Thor wrote this. Guy named Thor Jensen. This happening at New Life Church. How? So this morning, 
with this ridiculous story in mind, let's go to the text. Realizing that some conflict was happening in the church of Philippi, but I don't think it escalated quite to this point. But what does Paul say in Philippians chapter 4? Look with me at verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. We looked at that briefly last week. Now we head to verse 2. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. I mean, he calls them out by name. Verse 3, yes, I ask also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Verse 4, rejoice in the Lord always. And again I say rejoice. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Why? The Lord is at hand. So this morning, let's just walk through this text. Let's start with the first portion of the equation. But even before we do that, we want to recognize this key idea. Today we're going to start with this. Rather than just mentioning the key idea at the end, let's start with this and then kind of unpack it. As we stand firm in the Lord, that's like the primary imperative of chapter 4 verse 1. Grammatically, it doesn't connect super well with the rest of the verses, but it's almost like Paul is starting with the command, and then you just see the other, other statements filter from this. And what does he say? Stand firm in the Lord. So, as we stand firm in the Lord, there's a couple things that must happen. We must brace, embrace a gracious approach to life and ministry. Let's just unpack this, starting with the first point. The first verse, stand firm in the Lord. Can we talk about this for a minute? Verse 1, therefore my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. So what is this? Well, this is one of those verses that some commentators will call a hinge verse, going from one discussion right into another. And this transition shows us points, it reviews points in the past and leads to points in the future, in the coming texts. Therefore, Paul says, my brothers, stand firm thus in the Lord. I don't know if you've noticed as you read through this, that this, is a very, this has a very personal tone to the, the verse. Very personal. Six times he uses words of affection. In fact, one commentator uh, says very appropriately um, that this, this appeal, so I'm going to find my place here. This appeal is a flood of affection. Paul's saying, stand firm in the Lord, and he can't help himself because he floods them with terms of affection. Therefore, my beloved brothers, look at it, my beloved brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, and then the imperative, stand firm in the Lord, and then he can't help himself again, my beloved. He says, my brothers, what is he just doing? Hey, family, my family members, yes, I'm apostle, as he says in 1 Corinthians, one born out of due time, I'm an apostle 
called by God to be this apostle with particular responsibilities and assignments. But in the family of God, we are equally redeemed in God's eyes. Brothers, I'm in this with you. My brothers, stand firm in the Lord. My brothers, whom I love and long for, I love you and I earnestly desire to see you. I value you more than I can possibly tell. And that's seen in the fact that I can't wait to see you again. You ever said that to a long-distance friend or family member? Oh, I can't wait to see you. And as soon as you see them, hugs happen, talk happens, and it's like you didn't miss a beat. You just work right into life. That's Paul with the Church of Philippi. He says, my brothers, I, I love you and I long to see you. Then he says this really cool phrase, my joy and crown. We use this term, uh, similarity to this term often. You're my pride and joy. Church, you're my pride and joy. I love talking about you. You make me smile. You're my joy. I can imagine this. And, you know, sometimes we, we take these texts and we just breathe through them. But I honestly believe Paul is very sincere when he says this. I think there's times when the Apostle Paul will be talking to either Luke or another one of his comrades in ministry. And he starts to mention the church of Philippi and people in the church of Philippi. And he can't help but a big smile come across his face. Oh, I love those people. They're such good people. Paul says, my beloved, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, my beloved, possibly a contemplative pause can be expected between stand firm in the Lord and the last one. In my mind, I think there's a bit of a pause, and I, I think he's saying, stand firm in the Lord, oh, my beloved. I just love you. I love you in the Lord. Honestly, brothers and sisters in Christ here at Cross Point Community Church, this is so rich. Why? Because even Paul, I mean, he's, he's hammering them with commands, with imperatives. He's hammering them with exhortation. He's hammering them with directives that are going to light, lead them in this gospel-centered life. But he doesn't neglect stopping and saying, I care for you deeply. I love you. You know what this yells out to me in a very practical way? Paul is living out what he tells the church of Ephesus. Speak the truth, how? In love. He cares for these people deeply. By God's grace, this is the approach and the philosophy of ministry here at Cross Point Community Church. Exhortations given. Commands presented from the scriptures. Imperatives shared, directives given. But my prayer, along with the other elders, that every single word of exhortation that comes in these teachings or in any sermon is saturated with love and care. And every one of you realizes that there's an elder team here that loves you deeply. My beloved, Paul says. In the application, by God's grace, every believer has the responsibility to live with a resolve. A resolve. So, he saturates all of this with love, but what's the imperative? Here it is, right here. Stand firm thus in the Lord. This is another one of those military terms. Remember, we talked about different terms. 
Uh, we start, he started with some dynamic military terms. He transitioned into some uh, financial terms and some athletic terms. But now, as is very appropriate to this congregation, with possibly many retired military from the Roman army, he returns now to a military term. And this military term is this. Don't move. Be strong in the Lord. Be firmly committed in conviction and belief, as one lexicon says. We say it this way often. Keep on keeping on. Keep going. Stand firm in the Lord. Don't let any winds of false doctrine blow you off your feet. Don't let a wave of, of, of negativism come into your life and, and, and dissuade you from the love of the Scriptures. Stand firm in the Lord. Now this imperative is followed by several other appropriate practical, almost guiding statements. So let's look at these statements. The primary imperative, stand firm in the Lord, but now some other guiding statements in this text, starting with this one. Verse 2, I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Here it is. He says, I entreat. Entreat is a word for I appeal, I urge. I'm strongly exhorting you. I'm urging you, please listen to me. You ever done that with one of your kids? Please listen to me. This is Paul with his family in Philippi saying, please, I urge you, listen to me. And he, in, right away, he names names here in this passage. Can, by the way, can you imagine being in the church of Philippi when this is read by Epaphroditus? Epaphroditus is saying they're reading this, and all of a sudden he comes to this verse, and Epaphroditus, I believe, maybe he's reading through it, and he just kind of stops for a second. Oh dear, am I really going to read this? Everything in Epaphroditus' mind says, just kind of breeze over this quickly, and then all of a sudden he's like, he looks over at one side of the room, and he looks at the other side of the room, and he's like, oh, here it goes. <laughs> I urge, I urge Syntyche and Yodius to agree. And everybody in the body of Christ is like, ooh, he just said it. This is Paul out of a heart of love, and he's saying, you two ladies agree. We don't know a whole lot about these two ladies other than they were passionate about ministry. They really were. Um, I don't know how deep the conflict went. A lot of people think it, it was only skin deep, didn't go super deep into the relationship. But nonetheless, it was obvious to all in the body of Christ that there was a contention in the body of Christ. Possibly, these were, these were two ladies that sat at Lydia's Bible study next to the Creekside, who heard the word of Jesus and who embraced the gospel of Jesus Christ. We know from later on in the verse here, in the next verse, that these ladies devoted their lives to labor and ministry together. They ministered together. And what does Paul say to them? Oh, ladies, please, 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 please agree in the Lord. Even though you may not naturally see eye to eye in the Lord, please make it work. Live in harmony. And actually, the statement, agree in the Lord, is this one. And we've seen it already in the text. Be of the same mind in the Lord. Think the same way 
Paul says, agree in the Lord. What is the directive here? It is in the Lord. Even if you don't see eye to eye with personality conflicts, still make it work in the Lord. He is the glue that bonds the body of Christ together. Naturally, this doesn't work. Naturally, we cannot make it work. It is only going to be by the grace of God that we look over personality quirks, weirdness. Paul broadens his appeal in verse 3. He says this, yes, I ask you also. And I can imagine the body of Christ is sitting there like, oh no, don't say my name. Don't say my name. Don't say my name. He says this, yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. So here we go. We go from specific names now to a dude we don't know exactly who he's talking about. True companion. There's a lot of different ideas of who this might be, Epaphroditus or Luke, or maybe he's talking to the church as a whole, saying true companion. We don't know for sure, but nonetheless, the appeal is that someone or the entire body step in to help these ladies get along. Help these ladies to see that there's a bigger picture to what's happening here. Now we get a bit more information on these women. Here's what he says, and I love this. These women who labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Well, this is awesome. Why? Because what has Paul just done? He's announced to this church that these truly are followers of Jesus who are struggling with conflict. All right, This isn't an unbeliever and a believer. This is two believers who are working out the temptations of their flesh to fight. Not strive side by strive, but to strive face to face. And Paul says, I mean, a couple of these observations. First of all, these women are both believers. Why? Their names are in the book of life. These women ministered alongside each other. At one time, they labored side by side with me in the gospel, Paul says. Here's another observation. These women were team players at one time. With Clement and others, they worked together well as a team. So at one time, they didn't have this. They were cordial to each other. They worked well together. But something happened. We don't know what happened. But something happened to make these women at odds. So, Paul is appealing to the body of Christ to help them to get along. Do whatever it takes to help these women walk them along. And I might make an appeal right now for a grounded biblical counseling in the body of Christ. Where we counsel each other to get along in the body of Christ. And Paul now is appealing for someone. Someone. Help them. What's the takeaway from this? I mean, we, you know, sometimes I read through the book of Philippians and I'm like, is that really in there? <laughs> really? He just called out names and told them straight, get along. But here's our simple takeaway. The fact is differences in the body of Christ abound. Personalities, preferences, practical persuasions, However, as we stand firm in the Lord, we are called to get along with each other. We are called, and here it is, we are called to be good ministry teammates. 
part of the team together. Teammates who get along with other teammates and teammates who help other teammates who are struggling. Why? Here's why. Because clearly disunity in the body of Christ harms the reputation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I mentioned that ridiculous article a couple minutes ago. You know, I couldn't help myself but to go down on this online article and look at the comments. <laughs> Here's one of the comments. I want to hear the sermon on the following Sunday. <laughs> Here's another comment. WWJS, who would Jesus shoot? <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not, you know, fabricating this at all. It's in the comment section. And another, this same comment, just love those Christian values on display here. I mean, how is the world seeing this? Here's the reply. If I were Jesus, I would shoot all of them and make a mockery of my gospel. All of them, shoot all of them that make a a mockery of my gospel. That's how the world sees this display of disunity. And Paul's saying, I urge you, based on the gospel of grace, get along in Jesus. And church, don't just ignore the fact that there's a, you know, a something going on. That when people walk in the door, they start to head towards something, and all of a sudden they've got to make an emergency evacuation to the bathroom. No, they don't. They just don't want to see somebody. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we come together in unity, and the call of the Scripture is that we get along in Jesus Christ. We're part of the same ministry team He continues on in the text, and very appropriately now, you stand firm, but you stand firm realizing that there's a team with you. You're not the only one standing firm, so get along with the team. But then as you're standing firm realizing what's happening to your morale sometimes, think about this. What happens to your morale when you stand firm as a soldier and you're being attacked? Any one of us, through the temptation of our flesh, is to want to complain, It's to want to get discouraged and dismayed. And so what does Paul very appropriately say here in verse 4? Okay, stand firm in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it. Rejoice. He doesn't hide it at all. We've seen this before. It's chapter 3, verse 1. The primary imperative that I believe runs that whole discussion. Rejoice in the Lord means this, be happy, be cheerful, be noticeably glad from the inside out. Don't be afraid to tell your face and attitude that Jesus saved your soul. I love what one commentator said, this is not a superficial cheerfulness that ignores life's realities, but it is a joy that takes into account hardships and recognizes God's mighty working in and through those circumstances to fulfill his own gracious purposes in Christ. What is happening? God is using these trials and adverse situations to grow us in Jesus Christ. And so what does Paul say? Even in this conflict that happens between two sisters or two brothers, whatever it might be in any context of worship, get along in the Lord. And as you're getting along, rejoice in the Lord. Never neglect rejoicing in the Lord. And here's a word, though, that we have not yet seen in this book uh, as attached to joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. This is a super technical Greek word. You know what it means? 
It means always. In other words, while you're standing strong in the Lord, don't ever, 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 ever stop rejoicing. It was so important to Paul that he says it again. Again, I will say to you, rejoice. We must remember, and we have to remember this. I honestly think that this was born out of personal experience in the Apostle Paul's life. Because where is he writing this from? Jail. What did Paul have to tell himself every day he woke up? Rejoice in the Lord today, Paul. Paul, rejoice in the Lord today. Paul, this is ugly, but rejoice in the Lord. And he shares that same imperative to us. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. What's the simple takeaway? Well, as we stand firm in the Lord, we refuse the temptation to take on an attitude of complaint. Rather, we intentionally rejoice. Brothers and sisters in Christ at Cross Point Community Church, let us obey the Bible and let us rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He continues on and we'll look at one more of these discussion points. He says, not only stand firm in the Lord, and as you stand firm, be dedicated to teamwork. Not only be dedicated to teamwork, but be committed to continual rejoicing. And now he says this, be devoted to kind flexibility. Oh. Verse 5. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. He uses the word reasonableness. This, This is so good. This word reasonableness means gentleness. One um, lexicon puts it this way. Not insisting on on every right of letter of law or custom. Yielding, kind, courteous, tolerant. (laughs) This is an appeal to not be abrasive and dogmatic in every area of our life in preference. To not think my way is the best way in everything. I want to take I do want to take some time for pastoral clarification here. This is not an appeal to ignore theological details. Not. Clearly he's already proven that through the scripture. We hold tightly to theological details. That's not what he's talking about. This is not an unbridled tolerance or even a, a shoot at you type tolerance that just listened to Grant's sermon a couple weeks ago. This is not an appeal to spineless Christianity where you you never take a stand on the word of God. That's not what this is saying. This does not mean we never have a frank conversation in the body of Christ where, where you need to say something. That's not what this says. You know what this is? This is an appeal for reasonable flexibility both in the body of Christ and the community in which we live. Reasonable flexibility. This is an appeal to be flexible in the area of practical preferences. This is an appeal to be kind and courteous courteous and even gentle, even when someone else's personality quirks drive you nuts. This is an appeal to be kind, even when someone else's modus operandi annoys the snot out of you. This is an appeal... To be courteous, even when someone else's disturbing communication techniques push every button on your dash. You can't help but just sit in your car. And when you sit in the car, you want to pound your head on the steering wheel 50 times before you drive away. Because they frustrate you so much. 
I mean, honestly, we, we don't have to be smug about this. This stuff happens in the body of Christ. People frustrate people. As we say, we joke about this and as the leadership team sometimes. You know, ministry would be so easy if it weren't for people. <laughs> That's just how it is. Nonetheless, ministry wouldn't happen if people weren't involved. Even with our personality quirks. Even with our differences of opinion. Even if how we see something happens doesn't exactly match the way it is actually happening. We're called to get along and to be flexible and gracious and gentle in our approach. Let your reasonableness, and I want to just make this point. You know we have to. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Not just the ones you like. Everyone. Not just the ones that are easy to get along with. Everyone. I love what Jesus Christ himself says in Matthew chapter 5. What does he say? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. How are we going to live out our sonship in Christ? It is as we make peace in the body of Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.14, Paul says this, And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and here it is, be patient with them all. Please be patient with me. God is not finished with me yet. Have you heard that before? We're all a work in progress. Let us be patient with each other. I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 19, which, by the way, I'm not going to read all of those this morning. But if you want a, a blessed passage to talk about what true love in Christ looks like, read Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 19. I'll just read one of them. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. In other words, do whatever you can to keep peace in the ranks. Even if you have a different personality uh, than someone else or a different opinion on, on, on what a practical construction project should look like, keep peace in the body of Christ. What is the reason for all of this? And we have to mention this because this is the guiding factor for the whole discussion. The Lord is at hand. Here it is. God knows and he is the one who is present. In other words, God is big enough to take care of this. Would you trust him? But Pastor Andrew, you don't know how abrasive he is. You don't know how weird she is. You don't know how much I've put up with all these years. I'll say this. You're absolutely right. I don't know. But I do know this. Brothers and sisters in Christ... The Lord is at hand. According to this text and multiple others in the New Testament, He's big enough to handle all of those differences. Let this guiding factor guide us as brothers and sisters in Christ at Cross Point Community Church that the Lord is at hand. He sees and He's big enough to deal with this. So the simple application would be something like this. How flexible are you? How flexible am I? Again, we're not talking about dogmatics and theology. These are things we, we lock down tight in our theology. But what about all of these secondary issues and preference issues? 
And we're so good with being super dogmatic on. I do know this. The scripture says, let your reasonable, your gentleness, your graciousness be made known to everyone. And why? Because the Lord is at hand. Back to our key idea. As you take this passage, you kind of summarize it down. It would have to be something like this. As we stand firm in the Lord, we must embrace a gracious approach to life and ministry. Embrace it. You don't have to be right in everything. Maybe most things, but not everything. So what's the takeaway? So what? We could have fun with this for like 15, 20 minutes, but I'll keep it brief. So what? Here's a simple question. Starting with the first imperative we find in chapter 4, are you standing firm in the Lord? Simply enough. Are you unashamedly holding to the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ with all you have by His grace? Are you unashamedly living a life that is gospel transformed? Teens, are you living for Christ at school? Young adults, are you living for Christ in the community? Workers, employees, employers, are we living for Christ in the workplace? Unashamedly living a gospel-transformed life. Here it is. At home. One of the hardest places to live for Jesus is when we walk in our front door. Are we living for Jesus in our homes? Am I standing firm in the Lord? Here's another question. Does my life promote gracious unity, joy, and flexibility? Remember, this is not our natural inclination. Based on our flesh, what do we want to do? We want to put our boxers up every time we come to church. The scripture says, let your reasonableness, your gentleness be made known to all. The Lord is at hand. This only, only, only happens by God's grace through His Spirit. Remember with me the text that is in Galatians chapter 5. The fruit of the Spirit is what? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, forbearance, gentleness, and self-control. Brothers and sisters at Cross Point Community Church, as we stand firm in the Lord, we must embrace a gracious approach to life and ministry. So God, that is our prayer this morning. Let us stand firm in the gospel this morning. In our lives, let us make choices that are steadfast according to your gospel. Uh, according to your gospel. The person and work of Christ. The gospel is presented in your precious word. Give us grace, we pray.